You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends. I've been on this planet long enough to know the real deal when I meet it. And in this case, the real deal in the form of a person. And I'm going to read a quote from her book before I introduce her. My overall growth could have not happened if I didn't have profound valleys and ultimate peaks. I'm going to say that again. It couldn't have happened if I didn't have profound valleys and ultimate peaks. And when I read her book, and here's the title, Being at Home in the World, Cross-Cultural Leadership Lessons to Guide Your Journey. I was so convicted and struck many times as I would turn the pages. This is a person that's not from the United States, from a country where at one time, I don't know if it's the same today, women didn't have much of a voice and it wasn't welcome. And this was a woman that was at one time a single mother. She's now today a mentor to many, an incredible author, an exceptional leader. And she's currently the executive director of an incredible organization called Jeremiah Program. It gives me great pleasure, and frankly, I'm humbled have as my guest today, and sometimes I butcher names if I do that, Lord, please forgive me, my friend Leticia Mazzaro Hellerud. Leticia, good morning. It's great to see you. How are you? Good morning, Mike. Oh, my God. That was so generous of you. That introduction warms up my heart. I'm doing well, and thank you so much for having me on this platform today. Oh, thank you for taking time, because I know you're busy. Because I think you also still, and I could be wrong, I think you also still provide intercultural co- uh, consulting in addition to your awfully busy schedule. <laughs> and I by the way, really can, but my priority right now is Jeremiah program. Yeah. But any time I can add value bringing those lived experiences from previous lives, I definitely do consulting work. And we sh- we should sneak that in a little bit during our conversation, because it, it when I, I read your book, one of the things I thought of, there was this movie, it's a startling movie, it was in 1970 called Deliverance. <laughs> and um, there's a scene in the movie where this young fellow was playing the banjo on the back of the porch of this house. And the fellow starts playing guitar with him, and it's really a joyful moment of the movie. Not very many joyful moments moments in that movie. Mm-hmm. But I also often use that analogy where if you don't get off the porch, 
you have a pretty limited perspective of life. And I use that example and what you do in terms of your intercultural consulting is so important because this is one this is one big melting pot and we have to do we have to do better outreach to connect and become to love more people. Let me put it that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I became aware of you from a friend of mine that was the executive director of the Global Neighbors Network over in Bismarck. And and then I read your book. Um, which could you please share your your journey? And I don't want you to go into great detail because I want people to buy the book because it's <laughs> important to read it. Yeah. Could you share how it was this young, young, mm -hmm. young woman mm -hmm. starts a journey from Burundi? Wow. Um, yeah. Okay. So um this is emotional, and and I was, you know, like uh, not expecting to be emotional right away, um, early in this conversation. But, um, you know, I I, I see my life is uh, today is accomplished, and uh, you know I'm very humble about it. But you know, like with the gratitude uh, that I have for where I am today, I like to always share about that. That you know how I feel about where I'm at. And yet, um, I, I, you know, like I uh, always say, the journey is the most. The story is truly in the journey. Like most people will see me today as this, you know, like uh, an author or, you know, whatever role I'm in. And 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 I always go back, say like, yeah, wait, wait for a minute. Let's go back. Let's look at the journey. And truly, the journey starts in a small landlocked country in Burundi, called Burundi, uh, and it's in Eastern Africa. Um, it's it's very small and, you know, like the size of Maryland and very dense population, over 13 million. And, uh, and so that's where um, I was born, uh, from parents, you know, who are, um, you know, I'm a second, uh, second of uh, six children, and I'm um, uh, the oldest daughter, uh, which means in uh, that culture, like the third ad adult, <laughs> you know, like the third parent. And so I grew up um, understanding, um, you know, like a responsibility and my connection to the community and my connection to the world. And regardless of how uh, hard my life was at any time, I always leaned on the community whenever I needed uh, support. And I also remember to go back and replenish to my community now that I can. So anyway, uh, my um, I, I was born in Burundi and I lived in uh, Burundi, Rwanda, France, Burkina Faso. So Rwanda is directly north of Burundi. Burkina Faso is uh, in West Africa. And France is, of course, where it is in Europe. And so I lived in those four countries as a refugee uh, before coming to United States as a refugee. So I was resettled to United States 25 winters ago. So when I say uh, refugee, there is no typical refugee because when I was in Burundi, um, you know, and, and even in uh, some of these countries, uh, life was. Um, 
as normal as it can be under the circumstances of being uprooted um, and uh, forced to migrate, uh, basically, or to leave home. Uh, but my parents tried to make, uh, uh, to protect us, to shelter us, even when we were very, um, you know, struggling financially or when they had uh, troubles with, you know, documentation to live in those countries. They really sheltered us and protected us as much as they could. Uh, and it did not, it did take uh, later to understand how bad things were. And especially the third time when I was in Burkina Faso, because by this time I was a young mom of uh, an 18 year old month boy. And, and I was also uh, supporting four younger siblings. And the youngest sibling was 13 years old uh, and, and I was 27. So, and this is a country with minimal support. Uh, it's, don't think about like, you know, like the kind of support that you get in the United States or in other Western countries, uh, like social services or welfare, these we did not have any of that. So thinking about, you know, like, you know, like if any of the listeners can think about where they were or where they are at 27 years, when they are 27, and picture yourself in a foreign land uh, with a completely different culture at 27 in, in, with a, as, a, as a single mom, and for additional uh, siblings to care for. I don't even know how I did it. Seriously, I have no idea. And um, and there was a lot of, um, I don't even know how I did it. Seriously, I don't. Um, and so luckily my family never lived in a refugee camp in any of those countries, but that's also not unusual. Uh, more than 60% of refugees worldwide actually don't live in refugee camps. They live in other, other you know, like type of arrangements, uh, you know, like, um, I don't know, communal livings or um, individual, like in town. I, I was an urban refugee, as they called us. Um, and lucky for me, we had the basics. I'm going to say the basics, but truly, um truly basics is is the right word the right you know when you think about the size of the home where we lived the the, the type of place like in you know like uh, where we lived um you know like um the i mean the area I was gonna say the area where we lived um you know like we had three meals a day but again very basic um and uh, what else can I say? I was I went to school all, all of those uh, those years and through those uh, forced migrations. Uh, again, that's another place of gratitude because many refugees, as they move across the world, uh, their education is also interrupted. And you see that someone has like there are gaps in education. And lucky for us, really, education was a huge priority for my parents like they if they only had money for us to go to school that's it you know my father and books and school that was it and that was also him being uh like a, a forward thinker because he was not sure how or if at all the situation was going to be stable in burundi because it comes in cycles and he thought that education was going to be our passport to better integration wherever we would end up going. 
And can, I ask you, can I ask you a question based yeah. on what you just said? Mm-hmm. Because I, uh, one time, women's rights almost non-existent in Burundi in terms of a voice. Let me put it that way. Yes. Maybe that's a better way mm-hmm. to say it. That's- and I don't know if it's still the case today. What it's was here, it? To some extent, yes. It is? Mm-hmm. What was it in your father where he seemed counter to that mm-hmm. and wanted to make sure, because he knew the importance of education because that mm-hmm. could open so many doors. Mm-hmm. Why did he look at it maybe differently than some other Brundis? So my father was, that's a very good question. My father, uh, when uh, he he was a newly uh you know, like a married, uh, like a young father of two, um, he of three, he did, uh, he was working at a local parish and uh, befriended, uh, like, uh, like basically became friends with uh, some of uh, the, the, the leaders of that parish. Uh, and then uh, he ended up having a scholarship to go to France and to study there. So again, that exposure opened his mind. He was already someone who loved to read, but he it gave him more understanding. I you know like of uh, like basically the kind of uh, uh, world he would prefer to raise his girls in, or to you know the, what kind of opportunities girls could have if they had uh, um, if they were educated. So I think he had always been ahead in terms of understanding the culture but um but it but, you know but we also he was also working so he had the limited means to put us in school and it was in a priority and he would supplement that education through books really you know in my book i do talk about how uh, the biggest budget we had went to buying books because my father was truly adamant about um, like education and the importance of education. An- another question about your parents, since you were the third adult, mm-hmm. which if people stop and think about what that really means, yes, th- that's huge responsibilities irrespective of the age of the third adult helping yes. provide. Mm-hmm. And if my question is, that, were you able to ask this question either prior to leaving or sometime after? The difficult decision that was made to have the third adult and I, the oldest daughter mm-hmm. take siblings and leave, maybe never to see them again, because they wanted a better life for you. I can see you're getting a little emotional. I, I can't. I can't imagine how hard that was. Were they able to express that to you? Um, yes. Um, I, so my, my, my father is, uh, has since uh, passed, but my mom is, uh, lives in Toronto, actually, with one of the sisters. And, uh, and we do talk about these things. And, and actually, um, it's a very emotional because after we left, um, like uh, none of the siblings that came with me was able to see my dad before he died. So he died uh, like eight years after we had left. And uh, and as I said, the youngest was 13. And the other, there was another one who was like uh, 
uh, 15, and uh, my other sister, we are close in age, so she was in her 20s. The, you know, like one was 19, and the other one, the fourth one was close in age, uh, you know, is I am. Um, and, and it was like a, a huge responsibility, but at the same time, it was like life had prepared me to do that. I just really, uh, nothing prepares you f- to do that, but emotionally, I just felt like a, like um, like I was born to to step in, like whenever it was needed, and uh, and when that happened, um, uh, to um, you know, like I felt like a like like it was almost like a, a how can I say it? like a level of trust that no one can really express. Um, it was very hard for my mom and dad to have like all five of us. You know, five out of six, because the other one was already uh, like uh, abroad. He was studying in Europe, and like five children leave and without knowing when you will see them again, which was the case for my dad. He never saw any. Well, I I had the chance to see him uh, six months before he died, but no no one else did. And uh, and then for my mom, um, you know, like um, basically explaining how faster they aged after their children left, basically, uh, and how much um, uh, like more depressing life was even, but they was also, they were also very clear about protecting their kids at all costs. And then even making that decision that if they died and we were okay, that they would have peace. And, and as a parent today, like, you know, like now I have two kids, but as a parent, at the time I was like in the motion of living or existing, I never gave it too much thought. But like, and I did, but I did not, you don't dwell there. You just keep moving and living. But today that I'm like at a place where I can actually um, invest in exploring my traumas and and truly uh, all the unresolved emotions. I think about that a lot, and it's 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 unbearable to think about that kind of decision, and uh, and the life that mm-hmm. followed after that. Well, thank you for for sharing that, Leticia. Um, I, I want to go back to the, your journey, and I, I'm, again, I I can't I can't personally imagine that journey um mm-hmm. you know multiple countries and then multiple continents and yeah and, and now you've experienced 25 winters by the way <laughs> i know that's another brutal reality of my life <laughs> but you said in your book and this just it stabbed me in the gut and i have to read it we refugees lose a lot. Identity, status, family, country, really everything we have ever known. I'm going to read that one more time. For a variety of reasons. You know, we have people that look at our country as the, uh, a safe harbor. 
and I understand kind of I don't live by the border if I I understand the I understand how we could do a better job at our border but the importance of the history of our country we are a country that has always had open arms for refugees people seeking opportunity mm -hmm. we refugees lose a lot I mean, think about what you're losing here yeah. identity status family country really everything he have ever known so in many ways the only thing that is left and this is in my opinion why you had a successful journey not that there were challenges along the way and i'm not going to go into them that's why you got to read the book again the name of the book is being at home in the world cross -cult cultural leadership lessons to guide your journey someone was looking out for you and that would be our heavenly father that's that's i because I, I every time i think about your journey or people that had a similar journey you didn't do that alone. I don't. I don't think you did it alone. That's what I think. Yes, faith is very much we've uh, weaved in this book. You'll see that, like you know, like it's a book on leadership. It's a book that really, um, like, the, if I think about the main themes: community, humanity, faith. Like, and it's definitely embedded in in the book um, from uh, from the beginning to the end. And uh, and truly, I cannot emphasize enough how much refugees lose and it's easy truly as you said for us now like you know like my fellow americans you know to to uh, to focus on uh on uh, like you know like uh this is what everybody wants to do no there is no place like home there is no place like home there is no amount of success that i will have that will quench the thirst of going back to my grandma's Vino village. There is no, uh, you know, like a level of accomplishment that will make me feel like I truly, truly belong here. And, and, and yet I'm very happy in that I'm here. I'm very, you know, grateful that I'm able to anchor and have a place to call a home and not be a migrant forever. I'm really glad that my children will not know that, you know, you know, that kind of life. And I know that until I die, there is going to be a hole in my heart. Mm -hmm. And and that's also the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, and I think that's something that the first, you know, settlers actually felt like, you know, like when, like, you know, like, like the ancestor, you know, like where did your ancestors come from? You know, Mike. Again, this is your your show. I should not be hijacking the questions. But truly, when you think about the first generation, like the first, like the immigrants, not the first generation. But my children will be, you know, like yes, first generation in my you know lineage. Um, but like that, those immigrants, there is there. They, I'm I'm want to argue that there was something that they were they lost forever when they did that journey mm. but answer your question on my dad's side of the family italy 
for the most part, actually Sicily. Mm -hmm. And on my mother's side, predominantly Germany, Austria. And I'll just share one little funny story with you. My grandmother, my mom's mom, when I was living in another city, which mm -hmm. was close to a city where she had sisters, mm -hmm. my grandmother would travel there. And I would be invited to play Pinochle, a card game that I still love. Mm -hmm. Her sisters, knowing I couldn't speak German, when you pass cards in the game of Pinochle to sure. help your partner have a better hand, they would speak in German. And my mother, my grandmother would get so mad because she knew I knew zero German, but they were all very, very fluent in it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to switch gears in just a couple minutes, but I, I want people to know uh, there are only seven chapters in this book. And Leticia did a wonderful job closing every chapter with cross-cultural life lessons that were, were so profound. And here are the chapters. Believe in yourself and you'll find a way. Building character through adversity. Love and belonging are the heart of sacrifice, at the heart of sacrifices and meaning. Connection to humanity gives hope. Resilience is the choice beyond perseverance. Social and community engagement. I want to say that again. Social and community engagement creates commitment. And lastly, authentic education leads to community connections. Seven very profound chapters and closed with very thought-provoking thoughts for us to consider. Before we switch to what led you to Jeremiah program, you mentioned a name in the book mm -hmm. that had me first smiling and laughing and then in tears. I grew up in Fargo, went through the Catholic school system, and at Shanley High School, there was a Sister Jane. And you mentioned meeting Sister Jane, and she did something, maybe seemed simple, but it was very profound. W would you mind sharing that? You know, this is also why I love living in North Dakota. Everyone is interconnected. <laughs> Like it, we just start talking and it's like, oh, yes, I know this person. So for me, like to hear that you knew Sister Jane and you had a picture of Sister Jane, I just could not believe it. So Sister Jane was uh, from uh, the presentation sisters and, and the presentation sisters are known to be very much uh, engaged in the community, supporting uh, like people wherever the needs are. And uh, from like, you know, like education, they are really big at education again, but also even like those small basic needs of every day. And this was a time when I was really, really, really struggling. I had had I had uh, two children uh, and, you know, so in, in the I don't know if it's in the book, but eventually 
my husband will join us in the United States and we will have another child and eventually we'll part ways. But so meaning those valleys, those peaks, uh, even at a time when I was, you know, like, a, you know, getting better integrated, going through a divorce was another valley. And so I, my daughter was three months when, when we separated, you know, from my uh, ex-husband. And, 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 and I was not working. And I was, um, you know, like I needed diapers. I needed, seriously, I would keep my daughter in a diaper like, a, like an hour too long, you know, like because I was trying to stretch anything I could stretch. So someone uh, said, go to the presentation, sisters, uh, in the, and then, uh, you know, they may have some, some, some diapers. So that's what, what, what took me to, to, the, to that place. And then, so Sister Jane gave me diapers. And I, that, yes, she gave me diapers, boy diapers, because that's what she had. And, and a little bit too big, but because that's what she had. And as I was leaving, she said, wait. Do you, do you, do you need laundry money? And I said yes. And then she went back to her office, and she came back with a handful of quarters, and she gave me that money, and and I could not even look at her in the eyes because I was so ashamed, and I was also so grateful. And and at that moment those quarters weighted like gold and they were just it felt like a fortune and that's something that i will never forget and how sometimes that seems so little is also so meaningful and so helpful so that's like she has passed you know but to me she's truly an angel those angels that walk among us she was she uh thank you for sharing that which is a perfect segue because the mission mm -hmm. of Jeremiah program, where you're the, and by the way, just so you know, listeners, I'm going to be asking you to support Leticia's work at Jeremiah program. The mission is to disrupt the cycle of poverty for single mothers, two generations at a time. And that struck a real significant responsive chord for me because generational poverty is one of the greatest challenges in in our well, it's everywhere, but in our country, yeah. it's significant. And single mothers, typically, they're the ones that bear all the burden. So what almost maybe a stupid question based on what you just shared with us. What drew you? Because you were already in your private consulting business. Mm -hmm. You had you yeah. had it all going on. I mean, <laughs> folks, I'm, I'm visiting with somebody who's very successful, very confident, speaks five languages, smart as a whip, gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, she's got she got it all going on. Okay. What drew you to Jeremiah <laughs> yeah. program? Yeah. You know, sometimes you find your calling. Sometimes your calling finds you. <laughs> And, you know, for me, as you said, I was truly very much engaged, you know, and and challenged enough intellectually and, and you know, making a living, you know, as a writer, as a consultant. I have still have two books in the works, you know, that are now in drafts because I don't have much time to write. 
And, uh, and uh, on that journey, uh, Jeremiah program happened, and it's one of the best um, detours that or positive, you know, like detours really that life has led me to. Uh, I was, it was a no brainer. I was a single mom for 14 years. I was um, like uh, very much looking for ways to better myself, but at the same time to take care of my family. And for many single moms, that's a choice that they have to make. And so Jeremiah program comes to help people like me in that kind of situation not have to make that decision by showing you like how you could do both basically. And and then um, in addition to being a single mother, I had worked in uh, all areas that are important to Jeremiah program like uh, early childhood education for those young kids. Uh, and I have also worked in uh, housing, uh, like I trans coordinated a transitional housing program. And that's also one of the pillars that we have. I had relied to friends, uh, like a sisterhood, to be able to go back to, um, you know, graduate school as a single mom working full time. You know, like in the sisterhood that we also support the moms to build is very important to Jeremiah program. So like all the pieces, it's almost like my life professionally and personally was leading me or preparing me for this role. And and I was I've always wanted to work in spaces that support single mom, not single mom, women and children at the same time. So it it was it was a no-brainer. And um the other piece that was truly, truly like a loud or like a, in terms of uh, the voices that kept me you know, like uh, exploring this, uh, you know, position uh, was the equity piece. The equity piece that uh, Jeremiah program brings to the to 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 the to, the, uh, to this work, understanding that um, you know social justice. I mean, poverty is a social justice issue, and that systems are not built for everybody. No matter how hard these women uh, would be working unless there is something else that changes in the supportive systems around them, they're not going to get ahead and we will continue that generational poverty. So disrupting that uh, through um, the support, the coaching, um, you know, the education is, to me, it's a, it's a brilliant formula. Mm. I had the great pleasure, privilege really, to meet with you and I was, uh, you were called away, and so I was given a, a guided tour, and the facility is so impressive. It's so well thought out. It, um, oh, by the way, folks, uh, Jeremiah program is still kind of in its infancy in Fargo. It's only five years, maybe going into the six, 2018. And even the, the national organization, which was founded in Minneapolis, so it's still kind of a homegrown thing. Right, 25 years ago, yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, 1993. And mm -hmm. I was so impressed with how the safe space where the kids are, and they have these wonderful enrichment programs and the educational development, have a really cool playground out the back door, by the way. And then the housing in term, I think there were two floors of housing, okay. if I recall correctly, if not three, two for sure. Mm -hmm. And I had 
tour of a single bedroom. And then I, th I think one of them was two or three bedrooms, maybe something like that. Mm -hmm. Actually, there are only two and three bedrooms apartments. Mostly. Oh, okay. Two and three. Fully furnished. And they're very, very nice. And something that you do there just, it kind of broke me. So you 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 have participants in the program, single mothers with kids, and they're seeking educational opportunities. And once they, and if I get this wrong, please correct me. Once they graduate from whatever that program is, find employment, they they have a stipend they pay for their rent. It, mm -hmm. And it's fairly low because they're single mothers. <laughs> and they have a lot of burden. That's 30% of the income, yes. And then you let them stay. I can't remember how long, but after they get a job. And you don't change mm -hmm. their stipend. So when uh, so thank you yeah you are such a good student Mike because you it's like you work with me you know almost yeah not like everything that you need to know about doing my program so and you only stopped here once but I really hope that you know like the the followers the listeners are like going to be coming and visiting us we have tours um, frequently like monthly actually like you know can come into our place and um, but. So we have 20 units, uh, and those 20 units are fully furnished. And uh, right now we have like a 90% occupancy. So, uh, and we do have, um, you know, we think that we will be almost full by the end of the year. But we also have off-campus moms. We have moms who are, you know, like part of Jeremiah program, but not necessarily residents of the, you know, this facility, because not everyone you know, needs uh, like a, a, a new place to live. If they are already in a safe, affordable, quality housing situation, we don't have to disrupt that, but they can still be in the program and we can, uh, uh, you know, we can um, uh, reach, you know, more people because with the 20 units, we will not, you know, like it's not many people that will be uh, supporting. So these are very hardworking moms. These are strong moms. These are, you know, like driven moms. And and we just come alongside, uh, along uh, alongside uh, them, or uh, to to support them and connect them with the resources that they need, and make sure that the children are well cared for, like in our on-site quality preschool. And we also. Uh, make sure that they are persistent in college. And if they are not, that you know, then that's where the coach uh, comes into play to support them and see what else could be done. And uh, so these, these are, I learn every day from uh, these women. I could have been one of these women. And uh, no matter how hard my life was, no matter how broken I was, I was very much a driving or driven single mom who was always looking for opportunities and these are exactly the kind of single moms that we work with um so uh, we are a national organization as you said we are you know um uh, started in minneapolis and now in nine different uh, geographies uh, including austin boston brooklyn 
uh, Fargo Moorhead, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Rochester, uh, Rochester in the, in then what? Uh, did I say Baltimore? No, Baltimore. No, I, I can't. In Las Vegas, those are the two last campuses, mm. right? Yep. Mm -hmm. One yeah. of the things I loved about my tour, just before we go through the secure doors, you know, it's a very it has to be obviously a secure facility. I'm going to call it the Wall of Fame. You have the <laughs> pictures of recent graduates and the looks on their faces just worth, worth a billion bucks. I, I, do, I love how you lift them up and recognize them, congratulate them. That was that was just so, so precious. That, it's my favorite wall. It's my favorite wall. I look at it every day. And I remember my why, why I'm in this building. Between yeah. that wall and the children running, you know, back and forth. Uh, you know, I have a, like a, this office with uh, like a, a side uh, a glass, you know, like by the door. And many times I'm doing something, you know, like I'm in a meeting, you know, like in person or virtually. And I see a little guy who's just walking like this in my, like, you know, putting his hand on the, the wall, <laughs> I mean, on the glass and looking at me and I'm like, this is why I'm here. This is why. Every single day. You shared with me. When was I there? I can't even remember. Was it uh, just before one of the, was it just before Christmas, maybe? Mm -hmm. I think. Tell me, what did I share? And then I would tell you when. Well, I... you gave me, you gave, no, it had, no, it had to have been after Christmas because, you know, it was around Easter. Because you gave me kind of some uh, statistics that in uh, 2022, you mm -hmm. served almost 240 lives, mm -hmm. and that was well over 50% increase over the previous year. Mm -hmm. And I know we're not done with 2023, but I'm assuming mm -hmm. you're knocking those numbers right out of the park. Yes, I would not be able to give you the numbers, but we have been uh, almost doubling numbers every year for some time of the people that we have, you know, uh, supported. So that must mean the off-campus mm -hmm. people that you serve, that number is growing significantly because you have a, a confined number really inside because of the limited, it's a, a limited space facility. So the mm -hmm. outreach beyond the walls mm -hmm. must be growing substantially. And, and those numbers can be a little bit misleading because sometimes it's like, what are we tracking? If we're talking about people who have graduated from the program, obviously it's not that high yet because we are a young, you know, like a campus. Uh, but if you talk about like a, like a children who have gone through like summer enrichment programs, if you talk about moms who have, uh, uh, you know, like been supported through coaching, uh, if you think about, you know, like, a, like a, the career volunteer mentoring program that we have had to prepare them, uh, um, you know, for uh, their next, you know, for their career. Uh, if we count, um, you know, like the number of uh, moms who have like access to safe and affordable quality housing. Um, so like, yeah, there are so many ways um, to count that or children who are participating in our early childhood, uh, you know, um, uh, child development center. Uh, so like all those, you know, like numbers combined. Uh, so that's, that's usually um, what uh, brings us to uh, to that uh, number. 
But, you know, many lives impacted, like let's put it that way, many lives impacted through this program. I'm going to go back mm -hmm. to, I, I don't remember if this was in your book or you shared it with me, uh, whatever. A, a comment I'm going to attribute to you, um, that you love public display of affection. Now, I don't remember if that was part of the culture that you grew up in or it's part of your life. It, it, it resonated with me because I and I wasn't always. Mm -hmm. I'm a hugger. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, when I hug some men publicly, they kind of <laughs> they kind of stiffen up and yeah. I wonder what what is what's this guy doing? Mm -hmm. I've just always believed. The more ways we can publicly display we love another person, yes. I think the better off we are. Yeah. So is that is that how you grew up, or it's how I grew up, both in Burundi, like even like I can like if I if we um if I see you three times a day, there will be a, like a way to to it's not just I'm going to come say hi Mike, or if I come to work you shake hands you 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 hug we kiss you know three times in Burundi on the cheeks. We, there is always some kind of human touch. And when people hug, they really hug like they mean it. And men hug men in Burundi, like it's like, you know, like it's not like a weird, like, yeah. and it's very consistent. Uh, so yes, it's a very important. And, and to me, it does, there is a, an energy that I get from others when I give a hug or get a hug. You know, maybe they need one, but for sure, I, most of the time I need a hug. Yeah. And appreciate hugs. I, I I know how you like to defer to others with regards to the work that you do or the success that you've had, because you're all about team. You're all about others. You're, you're really other centered. Sh share a little bit about the wonderful team that you're blessed to work with at JP. Yes, I have an amazing team. Seriously, I always brag, uh, you know, about them and say that I have the best team in town, in state, you know, like truly everyone who works here is super passionate about the work. And and we also understand uh, that we are here for the same mission. Uh, I'm a firm believer in collective wisdom and collective uh um, you know, like, uh, in, you know, like intellect. So it's important for me to, uh, to really create space where everyone, everyone's voice is heard. My voice was not always heard, um, like, you know, in other cultures or in other spaces. And, uh, and I like that no one is working in competition against, you know, in the other we truly understand that we are here for the single moms who are in our program, for the children who are here in the program. As a single, as, as, as an executive director, I show up in my whole humanity. They see me cry. They see me laugh. They see me um, tell them I forgot, I messed up, and or show me how. And, and I don't feel like lesser than, you know, like, oh, I'm qualified to be in this seat. It's important for me to model um, that you don't have to know everything to be a, a leader. And they uh, truly uh, embrace that philosophy, but they also 
come from a place of caring, uh, a place of truly uh, focusing on the why we are here and building on each other's strength. I, I'm honestly in trouble. I don't know how I'm going to retire. I did not want to work, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like really, I wanted to to be self-employed. I wanted to continue consulting. And then the Jeremiah program came. And now, like, how am I going to retire? And yet I know that. <laughs> but I'm like, I guess it's going to be in a matter of like figuring out how to be involved with the Jeremiah program, which is very possible without necessarily being in, in you know, nine to five or nine to 10 p.m. sometimes. So I like, it's a matter of like remaining connected to this mission because it's truly something that, um, is very much aligned with my personal values, with, uh, you know, like what I want to do when I grow up. Like everything, it's like, it just, I feel like, a, like a, this is um, this is the team I want to be, you know, like with for as long as I can. We have a family services um, team, you know, uh, and a director and then coaches under that team and program coordinator. And we have a development team, the team that goes out in the, and build the, all of the partnership that we need. You know, like I work very closely with that team as well to get the funds that we need from the supports that we need from the community. And then we have uh, um, like a total development center, a team with the teachers and, and uh, you know, the person in the kitchen, the food coordinator. We have an amazing operation, uh, you know, manager. Now I'm afraid that I forgot somebody. We have the housing team. Like, so it's just like a well-oiled machine that's not perfect, but that's always working as hard as we can to support uh, these moms and kiddos. If you want to support this incredibly important cause, and by the way, some people say, you know, isn't this something the government can handle no frankly government sometimes get involved and they make things worse we we need government but trust me that with the best intentions that they have government this is not a government deal this is about people that care about their local community mm -hmm. care about uh helping to stop generational poverty which knows no color no ethnicity generational poverty is poverty it does strike some groups far more than others. Yeah, and sure. this is our this is our responsibility. It's our community. The website is Jeremiah Program J E R E M I H A Program dot org. When you go there, you you'll want to click the campuses and then Fargo. In my humble opinion, yes, there are people listening to this that live elsewhere, but today we're talking about Fargo. Mm -hmm. Leticia, if you had a magic wand, you could wave over the heads of people in this community footprint. What's the one thing you want them to know about the importance of the work being done at Jeremiah program? Mm. Wow, uh, you know, like if you think about uh, the impact of a program that has that's holistic, that's uh, like a truly is um, that you know uh, focusing on lifting up you know people from one um, you know like uh, economic uh, 
um, or social, you know, status to another, like making sure that they are uh, not living in a poverty anymore, but with a formula that is tested, uh, like, you know, like meaning education, I think that uh, the Jeremiah program would be truly, uh, I, I haven't found any other program that does the same thing that we do. And I uh, I know that education is not a guarantee of uh, of uh, you know like success in life, but it's certainly a serious or significant lever that will help these moms uh, not be on welfare or um, you know like a child uh, child um, child uh, assistance you know programs like most of our moms are currently on child assistance program. Our building is actually subsidized. So thinking about the government differently, we still, uh, you know, like the units are subsidized uh, for these moms. Uh, but like, you know, like truly, uh, like the, the education, the housing, the, the child development center, uh, the coaching, the sisterhood, that's, that's a formula that helps mom truly achieve their goals. And and, and 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 that's uh, that's what the Jeremiah program is about. Yeah. I'm going to add something else, and this comes from a variety of experiences I've been blessed to have in my life, from being involved in public policy making as an elected official, responsibilities that I have uh, serving a, a family and through their trust and uh, the foundation work that they do and other volunteer work that I've been part of. One of the reasons I love what Jeremiah Project does is it addresses some of the most basic needs for generally speaking, very young people that have very young kiddos. And again, this is about disrupting the cycle of poverty for single mothers two generations at a time. And when you stop and think about generational poverty, if someone is stuck in that cycle, here's what eventually can happen. Good people with great hearts can become desperate. And sometimes desperate people turn to desperate measures. So this is a hope. This is a way of providing hope, opportunity to open a door that they that might not have been available to them. And that's good for all of us. Mm -hmm. What would you like to add before we wrap it up? Well, I would love, uh, uh, you know, I thank you for, so, so much, first of all, for having me. And I really uh, hope that the community uh, understand that it takes a village to, to, to really operate a program like this. I hope that people uh, would uh, uh, reach to their generosity and support us, uh, you know, like, a, you know, through a year end contribution. Uh, so that would end the year strong. Uh, and I really hope that they would like explore opportunities to volunteer with our program, uh, and you know like um, like really connect with us and learn more about us beyond the podcast. 
but um, yeah, support us as much as they can. Send us moms who may uh, be a good fit, you know, like if they are uh, at least 18 years old uh, and uh, have uh, a high school uh, diploma or equivalent, and they have a young child, you know, four years old uh, or younger, un un under the age of five. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, and they are like passionate about education. They want to go back to school or they are in school. They don't know how they can uh, still stay there. And of course, they have to be a single mom. Uh, you know, please connect them with us and uh, it's uh, super them. Are your books available on Amazon? Yes, they are. <laughs> Leticia Mizero Hellerud. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate your time today. God bless you, and God bless you and your team and the work that you're doing. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Mike. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Yeah, bye.